Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, with Pastor John King. I know what you're not having for lunch. <laughs> morning, everybody. I'm super excited uh, to start this study in Ephesians. I hope you are. You know, as we study Ephesians, I'm going to challenge you to start changing your way of thinking, and we'll explain that. Challenge me to change my, my way of thinking. Because our country, you know, we know what our culture's doing, we know what's going on. You can't avoid the information that comes our way. But I challenge you to change your way of thinking. Don't let the culture run your life. Do not do that. Christians were so susceptible to that. In any event, we're going to be in verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Now, a little background about the letter to the Ephesians. It wasn't a letter that was sent to deal with a particular problem, like the, the one we just went through in Galatia. This was more of a, it was to the, the church in Ephesus, you'll see in the intro, but it was more, it, it really is a wide, uh, you know, application to the church, both then and today. There's lots of application in this book. It's a wonderful book. Now, in, in A.D. 62, the Apostle Paul, who was at the time was imprisoned in Rome for the first time, he sat down and he wrote this letter to the church. He had visited the church early on in his first missionary journey for a very short time, and then he turned it over to Priscilla and Aquila. And now he's come back, uh, later he came back during his third missionary journey, which happened sometime between 53 and 57 AD. So you know about Paul's missionary journeys. You can read about that in the back of your Bible maps, or you can just go to the book of Acts, and it explains where Paul went. But Acts 19 records that Paul had spent over two years at Ephesus. I think it's the longest place, I may be wrong, the longest place he stayed uh, to do ministry. And this, is, this place, this city of Ephesus, is located on the eastern coast of now modern-day Turkey. It's on the coast of Ionia. But in the ancient world, the city was famous for this grand temple called the Temple of Artemis, or sometimes referred to as the Temple of Diana. In fact, it was listed among the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it's estimated that this temple complex, when it was in its heyday, if you will, could, they had, it was a complex of, of, of uh, places, but it could accommodate 24,000 idol worshipers. It was a mega temple, okay? Big, even, you know, for our modern day standards. Also during this time, Acts 19 records that Paul and 12 men that he would disciple met daily in the school of Tyrannus. You read about that in Acts. But Paul's stay was amazing. It was marked by miracles that glorified Christ, exorcisms, physical healings. There were many conversions from those who practiced magic. All kinds of stuff was going on. The pagan worship of the goddess Diana was widespread, world-renowned. And it actually suffered. This pagan worship actually suffered because so many people were coming to Christ. There was, a, there was su such a change going on in the city. It was like a revival. You know, when a revival happens in a, in a city or a, a nation, things change socially. And in this case, uh, the merchants, you might remember the story, the merchants 
were getting upset, the silversmiths, because they made their money off the people that came to this city to worship in the Temple of Diana. They made their little amulets, their little teeny you know, statues, silver statues of Diana, which you can see, you can open up on the internet and see this, uh, this kind of ugly looking statue. Um, that they would come and just literally worship and, and do other things. These little silver shrines, as it was uh, written. And they were losing business because of Paul and those, uh, those people that he was ministering to. And so, you know, this led to a riot, and Paul narrowly escaped. Anyway, fast forward, five years or so later, Paul, as I said earlier, is imprisoned in Rome, and he'd left the church at Ephesus, you know, five years past, and now he wrote this amazing letter. It's an amazing letter. So let's start verses 1 through 14. Let's read it together. He says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from our God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Who's in charge? That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee, the down payment, if you will, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word will set us straight as it so often does. Your word, Lord, will put things in perspective in a way, in such a way, that your people cannot help but respond. That your people cannot help but be humbled before you. And so I pray today that you would speak to our hearts as only you can. Go before us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. We start out, typical letter opens up with a greeting, obviously. 
In the olden days, the greeting would, you know, they would identify who was writing the letter, who was, who was doing the, the, the greeting, who was initiating, and it would go, so it would be like a from-to letter. He identifies himself as apostle, but notice it's by the will of God. You know, when he calls himself something, this apostle, it's not because Paul wanted to be an apostle. It's by the will of God. He was the man, Paul, chosen by God. While he was still Saul, while he was still being rebellious, while he was still going after the church, Jesus got a hold of him and knocked him off of his high horse, blinded him for three days, and he became Paul, which means small. He was large in his own mind, but now he's small. He's Paul. He was an apostle. That's a mandate, okay? He was given a mandate, a messenger sent forth with orders. And so we have this wonderful letter and all of his writings. And he's writing to the saints who are in, her, in Ephesus. Now, when he says to the saints, he's describing their position in Christ. They've been set aside. To be a saint is somebody who has been set aside for a purpose, for holiness. It's part of the blessings, the heavenly blessings, which we'll see today. So he talks about their position and their place of residence, their faithful place of residence. They're faithful in Christ Jesus. That's where you live. If you're a Christian, you are considered the faithful, one of the faithful who are in Christ Jesus. So see how this, this letter starts now to challenge you right at the very beginning to start changing your way of thinking. You say, well, I'm a resident of North Carolina. Well, maybe you are in the physical, but spiritually and for all eternity, if you're a Christian, you're a resident in Christ and you have a seat in heaven. And so he says to these saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace. Grace and peace. You see, the apostles and the New Testament writers, they craved that they, people would understand the favor or the grace of God in Christ. They craved that you as readers, them as hearers at that day, would crave uh, that they would understand the grace of Christ which all blessings come from, from his grace. And he says grace and peace. We know peace with God. The war is over. I've said this many times. You know it's true. You, before you came to Christ, you were at war with God because you were a sinner. You were a disobedient, wretched sinner. Okay? Okay? <laughs> uh, in any event, now coming to Christ, you are at peace with God. You're at peace with God. And he says, grace and peace to you from, and he identifies the full title of God. Minus the Holy Spirit. He says, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ is where the source of all this grace and peace comes from. Now, he, now he's going to beginning. Here in Ephesians, Paul is now going to inform us you know, we're be, he's starting to renew our minds. He's going to inform the reader that God's blessings are what? Spiritual and heavenly. Yes, we have physical blessings. In fact, in the Old Testament, most of God's blessings on his chosen people were physical. Most of them. They were primarily material. He promised Abraham land. He promised him wealth and fame. The whole world would know from the promise of Abraham about the nation Israel because of the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. 
The whole world would know. And so he, he promised these things. But now in Christ, we have access to a whole new dimension. They're called spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings. In fact, you had them even before you learned to walk as a Christian. When you were born again, you had the spiritual blessings. Here at the beginning of his letter, Paul wants the church to know, first of all, where we stand in Christ. Before we can take up our walk in Christ, before we can take up the things that he calls us to do, we need to have a good understanding of where we stand in Christ. We need to understand our standing. Uh, Lewis Sperry Chafer, I think is how you say his name, he, uh, he wrote that. He says, in the beginning of the verse-by-verse -verse contemplation of this epistle, we shall find that the first sections, chapters 1, 2, and 3, half of the book, the first section, contains no word of exhortation as to the da believer's daily life. Nor is there any mention made of the service which he should render to God. This section that we're coming through is characterized by the revelation of the boundless work of God on behalf of the one who trusts in Christ. He's, he's going to lay it out for us, what we have in Christ. Again, understanding your standing in Christ. If there was a, a title for this message, that's probably what it would be. Now, verses 1 through 3 through 6, he starts out, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is only used to address God himself, and it's only used eight times, actually, in the whole New Testament. And now we're going to focus really on three things. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to see that through today's message. And now we're, we're focusing on the one who planned things out for us, who predetermined things, and that's God. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. So he's the subject. He's the source. And he says, uh, basically says, who has placed this in, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he has blessed us. So having acknowledged the source of the blessing, now he's going to declare what God has done for all Christians, not just the church at Ephesus. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing where? In the heavenly places. This is not how we normally think. When we think of blessings, we think of prosperity. We think of taking care of our needs. And those are good things, and the Lord certainly does provide for all of our needs. But you and I have a tendency to only look at the physical. We tend to overlook or forget about the spiritual blessings we have. This gift came to us in Christ. The Father planned it out and he sent it to us. I, I say it often, we need to take the truth of the Bible and oftentimes we need to know how to walk and chew gum. We need to understand, uh, as Warren Wiersbe said, that the Christian really, in reality, despite what you know, our eyes tell us, in reality, we operate in two spheres. The human and the divine. The human sphere of our existence and the heavenly. 
the visible and the invisible. Physically, the Christian, man or woman, he or she is on earth in a human body, okay, elementary stuff, but spiritually, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly sphere. That's actually where we are spiritually even right now. And it's this heavenly sphere that provides what? The power and the direction for our earthly walk. You ever feel like you're spinning your wheels trying to work? You know, we, we talked about works salvation, works righteousness. And you just keep going around and around in circles. Now, Wiersbe inter, uh, illustrates this, this dual uh, location, if you will. Uh, he illustrates it with the, consider the president of the United States He's not always seated at his desk in the White House, right? But that executive chair represents the sphere of his life and power. No matter where he is, he is the president because only he has the privilege of sitting at that desk. Likewise with the Christian. No matter where he may be on this earth, he is seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. And this is the basis, listen, this is the basis of his life and power. And when we forget all of that, you know, we, we find ourselves in, a, in a, a place of distress. We find ourselves in a place of worry. We find ourselves having to fill our lives with things and stuff to do to overcome our anxiety. Now, as you read, as we read that long passage, verses 3 to 14 mainly, it's been described, it's kind of like a long song, if you will. But it's a song of celebration. It's almost like a song that hits all the, note, all the notes, if you will, of his love and grace along the way. One continuous song. So what do we do with this? I mean, this, this, uh, when, you, when you read, I, I challenged you to read this passage for the next week. Because if you read it the first time, you're like, oh, that's interesting, you know, what's for dinner? Uh, next time. Uh, but if you put it in your hearts and minds and you continue to read this passage... It will help change our minds, you know, and, and it, what helps us to do three things, because what are we to do with this? This is a very, you know, you could call it a very stupendous assertion. I mean, we can read all about the life of the apostle. I can stand up here and tell you about him going to the third heaven. He didn't want to boast too much about that because he was preaching Christ and him crucified. But here we have an opportunity when he refers to the riches of God, because God's not in the least bit poor, but we have to realize that there's spiritual blessings. You say, well, that's boring. Well, then I say, man, if you say that, where are you? Where are you with the Lord? Where's your heart and mind at? So first of all, we must believe it. Ephesians 2, 6, we'll see this. He says, he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you have to believe it. If you don't believe it, then nothing else is going to make sense. We might as well just go ahead and have food and fellowship now if you don't believe it. You Not only must you believe it, but you have to focus on the truth, which is why I'm challenging you to read these passages. If we're too quick to nod our heads and think of ourselves, you know, that's too mystical. Or I don't want to be too heavenly minded. Instead, though, what you're going to do with your mind is you're going to spend time worrying and complaining. All about the world that we occupy. And the world gives us plenty of opportunities to do that, right? This, this thing we're living in. Colossians 3, 1 through 2, 2, he says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, 
sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. So we must believe it. We must focus on this truth. Now, Charles Spurgeon would say this to us, to you and I. He says, if you think little of what God has done for you, you will then do very little for him. But if you have a great notion of his great mercy to you, you will be greatly grateful to your gracious God. So we must believe it. We must focus on this truth continually, bringing the word into your life. And we must ask for the blessings that he's promising. Ask for the blessings. Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? A spiritual blessing. Uh, oftentimes we have taken our church in modern day culture, especially certain parts of the church, have focused so much on these blessings, these riches, these material things, and then left people high and dry all over the place. So the question is, do you and I have the faith to ask for more from God? Do you have the faith to ask for more holiness? Do you have the faith to ask for a greater sense of adoption? Do you have a faith to ask for more love? How about more peace? How about more patience? You know, as, as we fellowship with one another, how about more spiritual power, okay? The power to discern and to understand. You're going to find, you know, we can, we can either be one of two ways as a church. We can be like, here together for a period of time and then scatter. Or we can kind of rub up against each other a little bit and have some fellowship time. And maybe get personal in the sense of discipleship. And through that experience, when we deal with one another, we realize that we need more patience. We do. We need more patience. Where do you get it? Do you get it from yourself? Absolutely not. How many times have you said, I've run to the end of my patience? Well, that's because you didn't have much to begin with. Because it doesn't come from you, it comes from God. Otherwise, it's, it's an act. And how long can you continue to be a, a hypocrite and make pretend everything's okay? When you need, the Lord needs to speak into your life. How about with the world and the way it's going? And, and what you and I allow to have happen all the time through the flat screen you know, the new flat screen shrines, they're all over the place. Uh, we have them, I have them. How often have you allowed that to give you fear and worry? Yes, we want to be informed. Yes, we know that there is a, you know, it, it's hurricane season. But how often have you allowed it to keep you awake at night? When you can access from the Lord a greater sense of peace, and you can say, Lord, this disturbs me. Lord, I need your peace. You see, I, I want, Lord, what you're promising me. You say that these spiritual blessings, are. you say you're rich in those things. And if anybody's rich, if God's rich, then you don't know riches when we compare it to the world. Let's take a look at these spiritual blessings. First, uh, we're going to look at, uh, you know, five of them uh, in general. He covers them. First four. First of all, you're chosen by God. You're chosen by God for what? To be holy and blameless. That's what. Just as he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world. Or he's saying, in other words, since he chose you, you're actually agreeing to the fact. To be chosen was to be picked out, to be selected. Basically, God the Father had a predetermined plan for every single person, man, woman, or child, who will come to Christ, who will accept Jesus Christ's salvation in Christ. He had a predetermined plan that began before the foundation of the world. Prior to all created things, because God was not created, he always was. Prior to all created things, he had a plan for your life. And the plan is that you should be holy and without blame before him in love. And because of sin, we've been separated from God. But because of Jesus, we can be redeemed. We can be bought back. So he has a predetermined plan for everyone, an eternal plan, and the plan has an excellent purpose. The plan has an excellent purpose. That you would stand before him without blame in love. You know, for God so loved that he sent his only begotten son. Now we'll wrestle with this. My salvation, your salvation. It was, and it is, God's idea. It was, and it is, God's idea. We can wrestle with the debate over human responsibility and divine sovereignty, but the sooner you let go the sooner you will rest in his grace. You will have peace knowing what he wants you to be with him forever. That's the thing you need to take away. He wants you to be with him forever. And so we need to trust in his sovereignty. So he had an eternal plan. Secondly, verse 5 and 6, adoption. Having predestined us to adoption, not only to holiness, to be set apart, but to, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. So God chose us for a purpose. To conform us into the image of Christ. So if you're in a place in your life, in your walk, and you're saying, Lord, why do you have me here? What, why did you put me on this earth? You know, there's people that really, there may be people here today that say, why am I here? Look to the Father Remember his promises that he adopted you. He called you to holiness. He set you aside. He called you to adoption. When we talk about adoption, we have present adoption. We have future adoption. Uh, and then there's the nation Israel, biblical uh, version of uh, the biblical definition of adoption. Present adoption is what we're talking about. You know, we're said here in verse 5, we've been foreordained into the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, adoption is a term involving the dignity of the relationship in, as believers, as sons and daughters. It's not the act of putting you into the family. You're, you're born again into Christ. But when you're born again into Christ, he, has, he desires as it unfolds, as this reality unfolds, the reality of salvation, you realize, you learn that he's, he's adopted you as sons and daughters to have a right standing with him. 
to be put into the family as a, in, a, in, a, in a higher position, if you will, than simply just born again. He's, he's adopted you. He's, he's saved you for a purpose. In the future, Romans 8.23 talks about it, the adoption of the believer is, includes the redemption of your body. You know, if you die, you go into the grave or you're cremated or whatever happens. But there's a future redemption of your body, a future adoption. When the living will be changed and those who have fallen asleep will be raised in Christ, Romans 8.23. And then finally you have the adoption of the nation Israel. In uh, Exodus 4.12, Israel is my son. Hosea 11.1, Israel was brought into a special relation with God, the nation, a collective relationship not enjoyed by other nations. And we talked about last week, you know, Romans 9 through 11 talks about God's special plan for the nation, Israel. So you've been predestined in love. You've been done, done it according to grace, according to the good pleasure of his will, his desire. And the response is to the praise and glory of his grace. Do you ever wonder why it is that you feel, you know, and you're encouraged maybe to, to worship the Lord in song and do it together with us when we do that? It's because, you know, your spirit realizes that you want to praise God according to his grace, the glory of his grace. You want to give it to him. By which he made us accepted in the beloved. Jesus was beloved, is beloved of the Father. And so he's made us acceptable. Amen. You know, it's a measureless accomplishment. You can't measure it. Salvation not only perfectly saves a soul for all eternity, but it saves for an even higher purpose. And that is for all eternity to the glory of his grace that will be praised. As I was saying earlier, when it comes to God's blessings, we're often far too consumed with the material. Of course we give God the thanks. We, we give God thanks for all the things that he provides for us. There's a lot of folks nowadays that are saying, are you ready? You ready for what's coming? And, you know, what they're trying to say is there's going to be potentially a massive food shortage. And the price of beef is going to go to you know, $100 a pound. I don't know. That, that could very well happen, okay, folks? I'm not trying to say what's coming. I don't know. And I don't want to make light of those who have concerns over that. But let's be reminded what Matthew 6, 25 and 27 says, what Jesus says. He says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look over there, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? I'm not saying it's wrong to do canning. I'm not saying it's wrong to grow a beautiful garden. I think that's awesome. That's wonderful. I'd like to be able to do more of that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's, all, that's incredible. But when you allow the, the world to creep into your life so much so that you're spent all your time worrying, Jesus has a word for you. We just read it. 
So how often are we so grounded in the cares of this world that we neglect to ask for the spiritual blessings that, guess what? He doesn't withhold. He doesn't withhold spiritual blessings. We've been talking about predestination. I, I want to say just a few things about that. Here at Calvary Chapel, we take a, a balanced view. We're not, you know, hyper-Calvinist. We're not, uh, you know, hyper in the other directions either. Uh, predestined or foreordained does not mean that God chooses some persons for salvation and everyone else for eternal punishment. Scripture teaches the exact opposite. 2 Peter 3.9. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And of course, John 3.16. We sang it this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Moving on to our next section, verses 7 through 12, the riches of his grace. We're called to praise the Father who planned our redemption, so now we're going to praise the Son who purchased it. We praise the Father who planned our redemption, now we shall praise the Son who purchased it. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus Christ, you guys know this, we have free and full forgiveness of all sins. Redemption means we've been released for the payment of the ransom. We're releasing, in other words, he's redeemed us, he's paid your fine. He's paid your fine so that when you, you don't have to sit in the court of judgment before God, the great white throne judgment. He's paid your fine. Through what? His blood that was shed on the cross. Redemption has always been by blood. Always from the beginning of the Old Testament, the sacrifices, they provide a very vivid example of what was to come through the Lamb of God. The future. And we're, we just finished Exodus. Now we're going to start in Leviticus where we really get into detail about the uh, blood sacrifices. Forgiveness of sins means we're pardoned. You believe Jesus died for your sins and God honors your faith with forgiveness because he sees you in Christ. He sees you covered by the blood of Jesus. It's remarkable. Many point this out. Jesus created all of us. He created all life. God, through Jesus, created all life. And then he had to go die on the cross so he's, he's got to, had to buy us back twice. He had to redeem us twice. He created us, and then he had to buy us back from the world. Buy us back from our sins. Your retreads. No. More, much more than that. Much, much more than that. In fact, you're a new creation. You're a new creature. Not a retread. Make sure we understand that. You may feel like a retread, but you're not one. <laughs> in any event the riches of his grace the fullness and the abundance his grace is the undeserved favor now you, you may have heard the story of the, the rich man uh, very famous rich man named John D. Rockefeller he was once the richest man in the world 
And the reason they could say that, historians could say that Rockefeller was the richest man in the world, often many of them say he's the richest man who ever lived, aside from Solomon, okay, from a worldly perspective, was because of his wealth was compared to the gross national product of our country, the G GDP or G whatever that, that um, stands for. And by percentage, even the richest people in the world today and in America don't even come close to the percentage of wealth that he had at that time. I mean, you can talk about Bill Gates and, and you can talk about others that have, you know, more billions of dollars in actual dollars, but because of inflation, it's not worth as much. But John D. Rockefeller was the richest man alive, definitely at his time and probably for all time. And the way the story goes, if he wished to give his riches, there were two ways. He could give according to his riches, or he could give from his riches. History records that he often did the latter. He gave from his riches. And if you did a Google search on John D. Rockefeller photos, you would pull up pictures of him wearing a top hat and giving a dime to a little kid. And he used to do that all the time. He gave out dimes. So he was giving, you know, from his riches. Now here's the richest man in the world giving out a dime to a kid. The point is, um, what if he had actually given according to his riches? According to his riches. His wealth being that great, you know, what if he'd have given away some of his expensive property? Now, I will say that John D. Rockefeller has a foundation, you've probably heard of it, and he has done quite a bit, his family has done quite a bit of, of giving away, but it's nowhere near, uh, it's from the riches, not, not according to their riches. And the reason we, we, we bring that illustration is to say, look, God gives according to his riches. So when you're lying in bed at night and you're worried and you're wondering and you're saying, Lord, I, I got to get some sleep, I need some peace, your word tells me, the Holy Spirit dwells within me. Your word tells me that you give according to your riches. Will you please help me get to sleep? And try it. Try it. Now, somebody say, well, I suffer insomnia. I'm just saying, look, God is rich beyond. Or if a brother or sister or a family member, you know, we're coming up on the holidays. We know what kind of, what kind of grief that can bring some of us. Will you ask the Lord according to the riches of his blessings, to give you more peace. We ask him to do that. That's something we can do. You don't have to work for it. He's given it to us. Next, we see another blessing in verse 8, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So that, again, now, now this is his provision to us. To make abundant means to cause, to, you know, it's coming at you. It's, it's available for you if you will simply ask. In all wisdom and prudence. You know, he's made it abound toward us, not in a reckless love, as the song goes. God gives wisdom and prudence. He knows exactly what he's doing. Wisdom, supreme spiritual wisdom from his treasure chest, from his riches. Prudence is to have understanding. You take these two words and you apply them this way. You will be given the ability to see and know truth and what to do with it. 
You say, I, I can't believe anything that happens in this world today. Well, that's right, because the source of information often can't be trusted. So if, if any time we needed wisdom, we need it now. We need wisdom. And so we're going to go to the source, the one who gives us wisdom and prudence. It's seeing the direction to take. It's understanding. It's insight. It's the ability to solve day-to-day -day problems. It's down-to-earth practical understanding of things. Colossians 1.9. He says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Are those just words? Is that just a really fancy thing to say? No, these are things that we can apply practically. But we get distracted so easy. James 1.5, he says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So test the Lord on these things. That's my encouragement to you and to me. Test the Lord on what he's saying to us. We've seen the consequences of our society over and over again. A society that's, in our case, America, has pushed God away, pushed God out, and the secular has risen up. You take away God's word and you try to replace it with your own version of self-wisdom. Isaiah 50, or excuse me, 521, he said, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Verse 9, we see, trying to, trying to catch up some ground here, the mystery of God's will. We've seen prudence and wisdom. Now we have the mystery of God's will, verses 9 through 10. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. Well, uh, you know, a mystery in, from God's perspective is something you could not have known unless he told it to you. You couldn't have known about the Messiah. You couldn't have known about his plans for you, his plan to, to re, you know, redeem you. You couldn't have known any of that if he hadn't have told you. And so in Christ, the Father has made known the mystery of his will, what he's purposed, what he desires for us. And he's got timing involved, verse 10, in that the dispensation and the fullness of time. So the word dispensation, it means stewardship or administration. Who's in charge of all time? God is, and how he administers it. And when the fullness of time comes, which it has not yet, because Jesus has not returned, he's talking about here to us a future period when Christ returns and establishes his kingdom with complete authority on earth as it already is in heaven. See, Jesus is going to have the entire realm of all creation. Not just heaven, but all of creation. He's going to, realm, he's going to have complete control. And he says he might gather together in one all things in Christ. So the purpose of God's now revealed mystery is to have Jesus Christ rule and reign over all things. That's God's purpose. And he, he wants to take us with him. <laughs> he wants you to be a part of that. 
In fact, God has ordained that there will indeed be a new world order, if you want to say it that way. Ultimately, the entire created universe will be gathered together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Through prophecy, God has revealed his future plans. He has unlocked the truth. The work has begun and continues with the true church. The work is, you know, presently happening. As believers being united in the body of Christ with him being the head. And we, we try to, we can, we can stifle, in a sense, God's plans in any local fellowship when we're not united in the body, when we're not unified together. When we're too busy worrying or complaining about what the other person is not doing or worrying or complaining about what the world is doing to us. So you and I are presently his instruments of grace to our world. That's our, that's our job. You know, we're talking about having an outreach at the end of October, we think of it. You are, if you if you want to participate in something like that, God desires to use you as an instrument of grace to the people around you, people in your community, people who might come to our parking lot. And it is a struggle. You're going to be. It's not a the message that we have. The message of the gospel is not necessarily well received in society. You're going to be hard pressed and persecuted, but it won't always be this way. Remember, we have a future and a hope. There's a wonderful marriage supper awaiting each and every one of us in Christ. Finally, the sixth blessing, moving on. In him also you have obtained an inheritance. In other words, you've been allotted an eternal inheritance. We are going to be made a heritage of God. We're going to be, it's, we're his possession, okay? It's a present reality. You have to wrap your mind around that. You have to focus on that. You have to believe that. We are his purchased possession. And we're predestined according to the purpose of him, God, who works out all things. According to what? The counsel of his will. Ultimate wisdom. And it says here that our spiritual inheritance was also predetermined. Not only did he predetermine you to be set aside, to be holy, to be adopted, to be placed in the family of Christ, but also to be his possession, his cherished possession. Malachi 3.17, God says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day that I make them my jewels. I will spare them as a man spares his own son and serves him. And then in verse 12, notice it, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. When you are worshiping the Lord, especially maybe in song or in prayer, you're doing it in a sense for what he's done, having done the work to purchase you as one of his purchased jewels, if you will. So the result of our redemption in Christ and our inheritance is, again, the glory of his grace. He gets the glory. Finally, now finally, our spiritual down payment, verses 13 and 14. Everything I've said so far, especially about you know, appropriating the spiritual blessings, asking God for more peace, more power, more love, more patience, all of that wouldn't really make much sense if we didn't have a spiritual down payment, would we? Would it? If we didn't have the Holy Spirit given to us as believers as earnest money, as a guarantee. So if, if everything I'm saying 
uh, didn't really hit home with you, maybe you can look at this and say, okay, Lord, you have given me a down payment. You have placed your seal upon me. I can walk in obedience. I can walk in love. I have power to live as you, you desire. He says, in him you also trusted after you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And then you believed. You put your confidence and trust in Christ. He's speaking to believers. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. This seal, it, it, it really denotes ownership. It denotes security. Some people say, I don't know if I'm saved or not. I, you know, I need to get baptized again, or I need to do this, or would you pray over me? I don't know if I'm truly a Christian. Uh, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In fact, Romans 8, 16 and 17, it says here, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know you're saved? It says if you're children, then you're heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. And he's telling you, he's encouraging you, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. He's talking about you know, present suffering, but future glory. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. There you go. Again, praising his glory. The guarantee means it's Arabon, it's an earnest pledge or a down payment. For what? All the things we've said. The future and the hope that you have, the eternal life that God has promised, your sins are forgiven, you have power and access to God, you have access to God's riches in heaven. You're his possession. So think of the most memorable experiences you may have had with the Holy Spirit and realize that it's only a taste of what's to come. You can think about when the weight of sin was lifted off of your shoulders when you finally first came to know the Lord as your Savior. How about times as we were talking of corporate worship when you can really sense the collective Oh, you know, a lot of times we say worship was good, and it wasn't because the music was good. <laughs> we know that. It was because people were being drawn in to worship the Lord together, and you sensed unity. That's when worship is powerful for us. How about those quiet times with him in prayer when he ministers to you? And you could go on and on. It's been authenticated in your soul by the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's not you, and you say, I get none of that. I have no experiences, Pastor John, about any of the things that you've been talking about through the entire message. I have zero, nothing. Well, then you're probably not saved. You probably don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And so I would encourage you, if you're hearing this message today, to submit your soul to Christ. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, I will dine with him, and he with me. Jesus is ready to receive you and your salvation in him. So my prayer for us, for myself, is that we would be reminded through this letter and through our study in Ephesians how to see God or see yourself as God sees you. How to see God, see God the way that he looks at you, wanting to give you the things you really, truly need. He will meet your needs. He will take care of you. When it comes to the physical, the natural, 
clothing and food. He's promised that. But what about your spiritual health? What about that need that you truly need? So my challenge is that we would change our way of thinking. Ask for more of what he has, and when you receive it, celebrate. That's one reason why we come together. We celebrate his blessings. Not so much that he's done things for us in the physical, which is wonderful, but that he is, our souls have been fed, that we have experienced the power through the power of the Holy Spirit of more patience, more love, more of a sense of his, you know, your sonship or your daughtership in him. And how's that expressed? We said it in Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If those things are the things that, you know, if you've been with the Lord and you've been experiencing those things, then you have cause to celebrate. Amen. And he wants to give it to you. Yes. Heavenly Father, we ask now, Lord, that you would just minister to our hearts. Minister to our hearts, Lord. There may be somebody here that just is not receiving your grace. They, they simply cannot worship you in that way. They cannot celebrate the life that you've given them. And so, Father, I pray that you would open the hearts of each one of us, the hearts and minds of each one of us, that we would take an inventory of where we're at, that we would see what, what is it that keeps us awake at night? What is it that draws us to never-ending stuff, social media, always needing to be stimulated? What is it that keeps us, Lord, from sitting in peace before you, in silence before you? What's it, what is it that prevents us, Lord, from that? Because surely, Lord, we know that you want to lift those burdens. You say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All who will come unto me can be given peace in their hearts. And so, Lord, I pray for us today as a congregation. I pray for those brothers and sisters that maybe we know about that have that situation going on where they're so overcome by the world, overwrought, being formed by the world and not being conformed into your image. I pray that you will go before all who would hear this message, Lord. Go before my heart as well. None of us are exempt from our need for you, even one who speaks your word in public. We need to, Lord, become what we believe, the people that you have for us, the children that you have made us, sons and daughters. Please go before us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your blessings. We thank you for your love. As we stand and prepare to sing the final closing song, may we encourage one another with this final prayer. Let's stand. Jude 1, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. 
To the God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Have a great day. Stick around. We're going to have a wonderful meal together. Love to fellowship with you. time of desperation when all we know is doubt and fear there is only one foundation we believe we believe in this broken generation when all is dark you help us see there is only one salvation we believe we believe we believe in God the Father we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And He's coming back again. We believe. Let our faith be more than anthems Greater than the songs we sing And in our weakness and temptations We believe We believe Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion, we believe that He conquered death, we believe in the resurrection, and He's coming back again. Let the lost be found and the dead be raised in the here and now. Let love invade. Let the church live loud. Our God will say, we believe, we believe, and the gates of hell will not prevail. For the power of God has torn the veil. Now we know your love will never fail. We believe, we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And He's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that He conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. 
and he's coming back he's coming back again he's coming back again we believe we believe thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.